Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So we're starting a new series for three weeks today and the next two weeks called Reasons. And it's based on a verse in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, which says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Right, we do that. God is in my heart. But then it says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It says, always be ready. If someone asks you and says, why do you believe? You've got to be ready, always ready to give a defense and a reason. But then it says, with meekness and fear. In other words, not saying, I'm right and you must listen to me. Humbly saying, this is my reason. You may have different thoughts. You may have different reasons. I don't know about you, but I think the world at the moment is desperately in need of some humility. People who are willing to say, yes, I believe this, but then humble enough to say, I love you even if you disagree with me. I think that's desperately needed in America at the moment. That is desperately needed for people to say, this is what I believe and I'm ready to give you a reason why I believe it. But if you think differently, that's okay. You're not the devil if you think different from me. I don't know about you, but I think that would be great. Don't you? And I think as Christians, we would win more when we do that. You know, in Luke 10, when Jesus is talking about how we share our faith, he says, you bring the peace of God when you reach somebody and you look to see if they are a son of peace, a person of peace who gives you peace back. It's all about peace, not thumping someone and saying, if you don't agree with me, you're evil. No, no, I bring you peace. This is my reason. I'm very happy to explain it to you, but um, I love you anyway. And so I'm going to explain to you my reasons. Is that okay? And I hope that I do it with meekness and humility and um, that you learn something from what I say, but at the end of the day, it's your reason. When somebody says to you, why do you believe? Why do you go to church? Why do you spend that time when you could be sleeping in on a Sunday? Why do you give your time and your energy and your resources to, to these things? What, what, why? Why are you doing that? You, we've got to have, the Bible says, always be ready with a ready defense and a reason. A reason means something that makes sense to the brain. Not just emotions, although emotions are part of it, um, but a reason. I've got to be able to reason it out and explain to someone why I've come to this place and this decision. And so I hope and I pray that you would be able to do that. The aim of these three talks is for us to be able to give a reason when someone asks us. So even though I'm giving you my reason, and James will give you his next week, and then on the third week we'll talk about Jesus and why he's a reason, even though there are our reasons, I'm hoping that you find, you, you're able to sift through it and find your own reason. You've got to have a reason. You know, you are going to stand not just in front of non-believers who ask you for a reason, but in heaven one day when we die, each one of us stands on our own in front of beautiful Jesus, loving Jesus, but he asks you for your reason. And you can't say, my wife, my husband, uh, the people at school, the teachers, the professors, the TV. No, you. What's your reason? How have you come to your place? And I, 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 I like to imagine this thing called a truth meter in our hearts. You know how we have smoke alarms at home, and if there's smoke in the house, then the smoke alarm goes beep, 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 beep. I believe God has put in each one of us a truth meter where when you hear something, 
or when you take in a whole lot of facts and evidence, you come up with a decision in your own heart of what's true. Your truth meter, you know, somebody can say something to you and you watch their facial expressions and what you know of them and what you know of the world and you come up with a conclusion, hmm, that doesn't quite smell right. I don't, I don't think that's right. Each of us has a truth meter and I believe God put it in us because each of us has the ability to come to know the truth. The Bible says, if you seek God with all your heart, you will find Him, which means it is possible, no matter what your background, even if you were brought up an atheist, like my family was, even if you were brought up in uh, all sorts of running after all what the world provides as, as solutions for life, which is what I had, you can, if you seek God, if you say, God, I want to know you, the Bible says you can find Him. You have a truth meter. The Bible also says that our truth meter can get damaged and tainted by sin. Romans chapter 1 talks about everything that is created, shows us something of the invisible God. But then it says, but if people don't glorify and acknowledge and thank God, then their minds become darkened and they're given over to a, a depraved way of thinking. We can mess up with our truth meter by living in sin, and the world around us has messed up its truth meter by living in sin, but the verse still remains true. If you seek God with all of your heart, you will find Him. He who seeks, finds. And so your truth meter can never be so damaged and messed up that you are unable to find the truth. If you say, God, I want to find you, you will find Him. You know, we're coming to Christmas, and the three wise men who sought Jesus, they were from the East, they were Eastern mystics. The, the word in the Greek is magi, which is where we get our word magic from. They weren't Jewish. They weren't godly men. They didn't know anything about God at all. But they were seeking truth. And so God used, they worshipped stars. God used a star, the thing that they worshipped, to lead them to the truth, which was Jesus. And it doesn't matter where you're coming from, what your background and what your place of trying to find God is. If you seek Him with all your heart, God says, you will find me, Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12, if you seek me with all your heart. So, my truth meter. I was brought up in Africa, nature. You know those wildlife documentaries you see where there's rolling hills and savannah and there's some lovely grass swaying in the breeze and then out of the grass pokes a little head of a lion or a big head of a lion probably, and he looks and he's stalking and he's haunched down, moving towards the prey. And you see the beauty and the design and you see something of creation that is so spectacular. Something in us just says, wow, creation's amazing. And then you see the lion pick the youngest and the weakest and the most defenseless little buck of the herd separate it and cruelly kill this thing and not just kill it outright but suffocate it over a period of time and it's whimpering and crying and the, the other animals are distressed and you say there's beauty, there's design, there's something of a creator that has made something perfect but it's been tainted and it's become cruel and it's not quite right anymore. That's what I thought. That's, that's one of my reasons. I look at the world and I see a creation that looks like it was made brilliantly, but it's run down, it's been damaged, something's happened. It's like if you're walking in the bush and you come across a wristwatch on the floor and you say, this was made by a master craftsman. Look at how intricately it's made. Look how well put together it is. That is amazing. And then you see, because it's been lying 
in the dirt, it's cracked, there's dirt in it, water and moisture's got in, something's got inside the workings of it, it's no longer working, but I can see it used to be amazing and somebody designed it beautifully. My first reason is that nature looks like that to me. And I'm going to give you some different interpretations of that in a minute. My second reason is that I look at myself and Again, you have a truth meter. You may be different to me. I'm not imposing this on you, but I'm saying to you that in myself, I have certain characteristics that fit with the idea that God made me in His image, but something has tainted and compromised that design, and now it's damaged by sin. And so I find in myself a desire for love. Now, that doesn't make sense. According to science and evolution, that doesn't make sense. But I find in myself a desire for love and relationship. I find in myself an appreciation of beauty. That doesn't make sense from an evolution point of view. Why on earth would it make scientific sense for me to find something beautiful? It doesn't. I find in myself the ability to appreciate and create things like music. Music makes no sense, but if there's a creator God, then I start to see there's something in me. I find a creativity in me. I find a desire, a curiosity, a desire to work out and understand in me that tells me God put something in me. I'm made like Him. There's a designer who put something in me, and I cannot find the full satisfaction in this present world that all these desires seem to, seem to say I should have. C.S. Lewis said, if I find a desire in myself that nothing in this world can satisfy, then there's a good solution to that. I was made for another world, not this world. I was made for heaven. And I believe that's true. That's my second reason. When I look at myself and I look at human relationships, I look at, you know, we have a sense of justice and right and wrong. It's tainted and, and it can be misused and people can get it wrong. But we, I have that. I have a conscience. I mean, why on earth, from an evolutionary point of view, should I have a conscience? But I have one. It tells me God put it in me. I have this innate sense that there is a creator who made me. I don't know why, but it's in me. And then I look at all these other solutions. So let me tell you what some of the solutions are. Number one is chance. People say it just happened by luck. Random chance. If you get enough monkeys typing on typewriters, if you fill the universe, every planet in the universe, with monkeys typing on typewriters, right from the beginning of time till now, eventually you're going to get enough of them that one of them will type a Shakespearean play. Is that true? Is that right? That's one of the options. Chance. How's your, how's your truth meter on that one? Does it ring true? I'm not telling you, I'm asking you. I'm asking you to think. Does that ring true? If I leave things long enough, just by luck, with no intelligent person trying to organize it, do things get better or do they run down? I'm just asking you, where's your truth meter on that one? That's the first solution that many people believe, many scientists. But I want to tell you, when you're standing in front of God or when you're standing in front of someone else who says, give me a reason for what you believe, you can't pull Stephen Hawking to come and say, you tell them what I believe. You tell God why I believe. No, no, it's you. Where's your truth meter stand? 
So the first one is chance. The second one is it's a mystery. Some people say, oh, we just can't understand it. It's a mystery. Uh, uh, who knows? We'll never understand it. But how does your truth meter fit with that one? Don't you feel there's a need to understand? That's why it says, be sure you can give a reason. It's a, it's a reason thing. Christianity is not about throwing away your brain. Do you feel like you can just say, oh, it cannot be understood? Maybe your parents and your family and your upbringing have said, oh, don't worry, there's no meaning, there's no understanding, you just don't worry about it. But what does your truth me to say? The third explanation is the weird ones. Aliens, multi multiverses, and computer games. Did you know that one of the cleverest men in the world recently, in the last few months, went publicly on record to say there is a 90-something percent chance that we are living in a computer game. Did you know that? Elon Musk said that. He said, virtual reality is getting so real now that when you put on one of these virtual reality headsets, they're getting so good at making it seem like it's real that very soon you will not be able to tell the difference between the real world and a synthetic world. And he said that means there is a 90-something percent chance that this world is a computer game. So who's playing the game? That's what I want to know. Am I just a little Mario guy in the game, or am I the player, but I've disengaged my brain so that I don't know I'm the player, but I'm... A, what, what's the deal with that? How's your truth meter on that one? Or aliens. A lot of scientists say, this cannot be explained normally. There must be intelligence involved. It's aliens have come and made the world and made us, and I don't know how, but they, they created us. But then the question is, who made the aliens? And multiverses. This for me is the weirdest one of all. A lot of scientists, I, I promise you this is what they say. They say, this universe is so organized and ordered and it looks like it was made. It's like a watch you pick up. You know somebody must have made it. It cannot have just happened by chance with a whole lot of things just creating a watch. But the explanation of the... Of some people is this. Well, first of all, I must say to you that I was watching a video this week by one of the main atheist scientists, and he said, it's just so organized and so ordered. What's the explanation? Well, we know it can't be God. That was his first statement. He's, he's not even considering that it can be God because he's come to a pre- conceived conclusion, he's made a judgment already that I cannot accept there'll be a God, and I am guessing that if he's anything like me, this is where my truth meter stands, if he's anything like me, the reason he's saying that is because if there's a God, then I am accountable and I have to uh, give an account and, and I may be judged for wrong, and therefore I cannot, I cannot conceive that one. See, sin taints our truth meter. But maybe that's not why he says that. Maybe that's just what he thinks. But he says, and many of them say, the universe is so perfect, the only explanation is there is an infinite number of universes, millions, trillions of universes, and because there are so many, all side by side, at least one of them will be perfect, just by chance. Some of them will be rubbish, some of them, them will have terrible you know, laws of gravity and nature and all that. But at least one of them, just by chance, will have everything just right. And so that's their solution. Where's your truth meter on that? 
Do you think that's right? You see, you have to give your own truth meter a chance. You have to say, I'm not listening to Greg. I'm not listening to anyone else. I just want to find the truth. And I want to say for myself, in humility and meekness, the explanation that best fits all of the evidence for me is what the Bible says. That God made the watch and it was beautiful and it was perfect. He gave it to human beings who turned away from God and because we turned away, the whole thing is now running down and getting more and more chaotic and dying and decaying and corrupting and eventually it will come to zero and we know that to be true. Anything in this world which you leave to itself will tend to chaos. The second law of thermodynamics. Some people have said it is the most provable law of all the laws of physics and nature is the second law of thermodynamics which says everything runs down to chaos. You start organized, you leave it, and it will run down to chaos. If you put all the ingredients of a cake on your kitchen counter, it will not make a cake. It will decay and ants will get in it and it will become a mess. I don't know how it becomes such a mess. It just becomes a mess. Because that, for me, is what my truth meter says this world is like. And the plausible explanation is what the Bible says. God made it good. We turned away from God and we cut ourselves off from the source of life. And therefore it's running down. But God didn't leave us. This is the great news of Christianity. God didn't leave us alone to just live with the mess that we made. He got involved. He became a human like us. He came to earth. He lived. He died to save us and to get us back from the chaos that we've created. And if I believe in Him, He comes into my heart. That perfect world of heaven comes into my heart. And now I'm walking around in this decaying world with a decaying body, but inside of me is eternal life and eternity and the power of heaven. And I can now influence the world. And one day, he's gonna, Jesus is going to come back and put it all back to how it should be. For me, that's plausible. For you, it might not be. I'm the one with the microphone. I get to talk. You get to listen. One day you can have a microphone and you can tell me your opinion. And that's fine. You see, we come with meekness. We say, this is a reason. People will say, God, oh, I believe it. My truth meter says it's true. You know what we've seen in recent votes in various countries in the world is there's been pressure on people when they've expressed their political opinion, I'm not saying what's right or wrong in the various votes that have gone on recently, but when people have expressed their opinion, they've been clamped down on. And people have said, you cannot believe that, you cannot think that. And so people say, okay, I won't tell you what I believe. And so the polls say so-and-so's going to win, and everyone thinks they know, and the media says it, and the celebrities. But when it comes to vote, their truth meter says, this is what I believe is true. Friend, it's the same with us. We're going to have a voting booth in heaven, and God says, where's your truth meter? And you've got to be able to say, but this verse we read in 1 Peter 3 says, when someone in this world comes to you and says, who are you going to vote for? God or chance or multiverse or alien computer game or whatever, you've got to be able to give a reason in humility in meekness. I'm not saying I'm the only one, but this is honestly where I believe the truth lies. And I can say for myself, growing up in a non-Christian home, living in a world, my mom was a, a TV personality. We had kind of celebrity stuff in our lives. We had 
money and parties and drugs and alcohol and people sleeping with other people. I saw everything the world offers as the solution to this emptiness inside of me, and it did not satisfy. It didn't satisfy my family. It didn't satisfy me. And Jesus found me at the age of 17, and he put his spirit in me, and suddenly I found the peace and the joy and the meaning that I wanted. And then I read this book, and everything that I see in the world around me and I see in myself and I see in human society makes sense in the context of there's a creator. He made it good. It's running down to corruption because of evil. But he puts his spirit inside us if we believe in him, and we can change the world, and one day he's going to make it right again. That's, that's the message of the Bible from beginning to end. So let me go through briefly now. Um, just some of the details of this. First of all, the nature of things, the Big Bang. So where's your truth meter? If I say to you, which is what pretty much all, all of science now believes, there was nothing, suddenly there was a very big explosion, and everything there is suddenly happened and came to be, and it was in such a state even though an explosion seems to be a chaotic event, it was in such a state that it actually led to organization and order and rules of the universe. Does that sound like it could have been by chance or does it sound like a creator? I'm not telling you, I'm asking you to think about it. Number two, the beginning of life and cells. So there's just a whole lot of chemicals and elements and suddenly life comes. You know, a single-celled organism Nowadays, they have worked out what a cell looks like, and it is the most complicated and beautiful thing. There's DNA in it, which is huge amounts of information, programmed information. There's all these different um, little organelles within a cell. One produces energy, another one gets rid of waste, another one replicates information, another one uh, protects the cell, another one does this, mitochondria, and all these different things. And they are so complicated, could that have just happened? Just the single cell just formed into being? There's a man, a scientist called Sir Fred Hoyle, not a Christian. He says the probability of cellular life evolving is about 1 in 10 to the power of 40,000. I mean, that number is just it's beyond even imagining. He said the chance that higher life forms might have emerged in this way is comparable to the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials therein. This is a non-believing scientist. There's something in the fossil record. There's the Precambrian layer of rock, then there's the Cambrian layer, and we find in the Precambrian layer there's very simple, a few little cells and a few little simple things. Then suddenly in the Cambrian layer, in a comparatively short space of time, based on all the geological time, in that space of time, all of the major organisms suddenly appear without less complicated organisms before them. They're just suddenly there, fully formed, some of them extremely complicated. Some of the eye features in some of those creatures in the Cambrian layer are more complicated than the human eye, and they just come, just suddenly, in the Cambrian era. It's called the Cambrian explosion. Scientists can't really explain it. What does your truth meter say about that? Number three, the fine-tuning of the universe. I'm going to read you a few quotes by non-Christian scientists, and I'm going to ask you to check your heart and see what you think. Stephen Hawking said, the laws of science as we know them at present contain many fundamental numbers, like the si size of the electric charge of an electron, 
the ratio of masses of the proton and the electron. The remarkable fact is that the value of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. Why is the universe so close to the dividing line between collapsing and expanding? In order to be as close as we are now, the rate of expansion early on had to be chosen fantastically accurately. If the rate of expansion at the Big Bang had been less than one part in 10 to the power 10, the universe would have collapsed. If it had been greater by one part in 10 to the power 10, the universe would have essentially been empty because it would have expanded so much. In neither case would it have lasted long enough for life to develop. Paul Davies is another scientist, very well known and non-believer. He says, scientists are slowly waking up to an inconvenient truth. The universe looks suspiciously like a fix. The issue concerns the very laws of nature themselves. For 40 years, physicists and cosmologists have been quietly collecting examples of all too convenient coincidences and special features in the underlying laws of the universe that seem to be necessary in order for life and hence conscious beings to exist. Change any one of them and the consequences would be lethal. And then he talks about imagine playing God and you've got all these uh, little knob knobs in front of you on a machine and you twiddle this knob, knob and you make the electrons a little bit lighter, you twiddle that and you make gravity a bit stronger. It happens that you need to set 30-something knobs to fully describe the world about us. The crucial point is that some of these metaphorical knobs must be tuned very precisely or the universe would be sterile. He gives an example. Neutrons are just a little bit heavier than protons. If it were the other way around, atoms couldn't exist. Um, another example is the force of gravity. If you imagine a ruler, the length of the universe which is a very long ruler, and it's divided up into one-inch little measures. If gravity was one inch further stronger or one inch weaker, life couldn't exist. And then this force called the cosmological constant, which is the expanding of the universe. On that same ruler, if the force of expansion was one trillionth of a trillionth of an inch on that ruler, either way, then the universe couldn't exist and life couldn't exist. Now, how is that possible? Where does your truth meter stand? Okay, I'm going to close by reading a passage from Scripture which I think summarizes this and, for me, puts it in context. Romans 8, in verse 16 and 17, he says, We as Christians have the Holy Spirit within us, and he gives us a witness that we are children of God, and he, he shows us God's presence in our lives. But then he talks about three groanings. He says, creation is groaning. When I look around me, creation is not good. It's groaning. It's like there's something wrong. And then he says, when I look at myself, I'm groaning. The world is not how it should be. There's something wrong. And then he, thirdly, he says, the Holy Spirit is groaning. And he says, when we groan with the Holy Spirit in prayer, we can change the world and make it a little bit more like God wanted it to be at the beginning. And for me, this sums up the Christian position, the reason I believe in God. Let, let me read it to you. Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, one day there's going to be heaven when all these needs in me are fully met. He says the creation waits 
in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. In other words, when this Holy Spirit within us, when we're revealed as God's children at the end of time, creation will be set free and, and creation is waiting for that to happen. Verse 20, for creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. In other words, creation is not as it should be. When I see a lion killing a little buck, that's not how God intended it to be. When I see disasters and all the problems in the world, that's not how God wanted it to be. When I see human relationships being difficult, even if I do everything right, I still can't make things work correctly sometimes. I'm groaning. And he goes on to say, not only so, verse 23, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I can relate to that. I was groaning, trying to find meaning in life, and God put His Spirit within me. And that's what verse 26 says. It says, in the same way. So we've seen creation is groaning. I'm groaning. I wonder if you can relate. Then verse 26 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, came down into earth. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we should pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. He says, the world is groaning. Yes, we see it. He says, we are groaning. Yes, it's not how it should be. That's why people get involved in drugs and alcohol and all these different things. They're trying to meet this void, this gap in their soul. They know there's something missing and they say, let me fill it, but nothing satisfies except God. And so the creation groans, we groan. But then he says the Holy Spirit in us, if we are a Christian, if we've said, God, I believe in you, come into my heart, he forgives us, he comes in, and the Holy Spirit starts to groan within me. And when those three groanings coincide, in other words, I see something in the world that's not how God wants it to be. I, I groan about it inside me. And then the Holy Spirit starts to groan in prayer he says when that happens, we are praying in accordance with God's will. And we know from 1 John 5, it says, this is the confidence we have. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we ask of Him. When I groan in prayer with the Holy Spirit, I get the privilege. I don't have to just wait for one day, it'll all be put right. I get the privilege of seeing this world around me changed to be more like God originally wanted it to be and how it will be at the end. I see the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. I see things changing in the world around me. My family changed before my very eyes because little old me was groaning, the world was groaning, but then the Holy Spirit was groaning in prayer through me and the world gets changed. Friend, those are my reasons, not my, all of my reasons, but that is part of my reason. I look at the world and I say the explanation in the Bible matches and makes sense of it. And yes, there's a God. And not only has he left me alone and he's far away in heaven, he's come to live inside of me and I can see his kingdom come in the world around me. What's your reason?
What's your reason? Are you ready? Are you ready to stand in front of God and give a reason? Are you ready to stand in front of others? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you came and lived on planet Earth. You became one of us to show us the way, and you died and suffered for us so that we could be forgiven and have your Spirit within us. And I pray for each one of us that you would help us to clarify our reasons but also, Lord, to live out this groaning prayer where we start to change the world around us in accordance with your will. I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself that you would help us to always be ready to give a reason, to give a defense for what we believe in meekness, fear, humility, not judgment with love, but to stand up for what we believe. And I thank you, God, that you've given us this promise that if we seek you, if we truly seek you, we will find you. And I pray for all of us today that we would find you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.